planning on being in that number how many's in that number amen what a great number to be in the saints of God and there no doubt is a cloud of witnesses as the Bible would say in Hebrews 12 a cloud of witnesses gathered there saying keep pressing on battles almost over it'll be worth it all amen praise the Lord amen we have some prayer requests want to continue to remember Brother Ron Spencer, just hold him up in prayer, amen. You say, why do you, you don't believe that he's already healed? Well, yes, I believe he's already healed. But the Bible says to knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. We're not going to put the sword down to the last cancer cell is gone. And that sword is prayer, bringing him before the throne of God, amen. Also, the Westerfields and the Hollises have asked for prayer today. Amen. I want to remember Brother Kenny Camp as well. Shut-ins, different ones. It's not able to be here today. Amen. Would love to be in the service this morning. Amen. How many's glad to be here? How many's glad for the ability to come to the house of God? You know, I think sometimes we take that for granted. What we have here, what God has provided for us, and, and the things God has given us. I'm particularly thankful for each and every one of you and the to come together and to build an atmosphere that God could come down and do something among us. Because I believe that every service, we ought to be looking for that. We ought to be looking for the Holy Ghost to come and touch hearts and touch lives. And we ought to do everything we can do to build that atmosphere. Not hinder the atmosphere, but to build the atmosphere. Amen. And I, 
I'm thankful for musicians that will give of their time and of their energies and, and their gift to God. I'm, I'm thankful for sound men that will do their gift. This ain't nobody on the payroll today. These, I ain't talking about people on the payroll. I'm talking about people that are given of themselves to come here and create an atmosphere. And I'm thankful for them. Amen. I'm thankful for every moment that they give and, and for us to be able to have this opportunity. We don't know how many more opportunities we've got, but I'm going to take, take advantage of every one of them. Amen. So, amen. Let's just go to him in prayer together for these needs. Thanking the Lord for his, his touch in our lives. Thank the Lord today for the, this moment that we have that God could come and speak to us. I don't believe this is a moment of accident. I believe it's a predestinated moment that you're here this morning that God could touch your life. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today, Lord, and so thankful, Father, so thankful that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, that we can bow our heads today with just as much assurance as we bowed our heads yesterday, that you will answer our prayers, that you will touch our lives, that you will give us, Lord, what we have need of. Lord, we mention these names not just because of the, the just, to, just to mention a name, but Lord, we mention it in faith. We bring it before children of faith, Lord. Lord, we've seen you move in miraculous ways. We've seen you touch so many lives. Even here and standing in our midst today are miracles, Lord, that once was a name mentioned over this desk, but Lord, it was hanging between life and death, but God, you moved and you brought life into their bodies. And they're standing here today as a memorial, as a testimony of your healing virtues, Lord. And Lord, today we lift up the name of Ron Spencer again, Father, to your throne. Lord, we take him beyond, Lord, Lord, this 17500 Highway 371, and we bring him, Lord, to your throne. To you, Father, Lord, where you have the answer for his body. You have the answer for his pancreas. You have the answer, Lord, for every cancer cell that's still there, Lord. Whether, wherever it is, Father, thou knowest. And, Lord, we know that this, one, this enemy that we speak of is not just our enemy. It's your enemy. Lord, it's that enemy, the devil, that's trying to take a life. And, Father, we've seen you bring him, Lord, so far. And, Lord, we're looking, Lord, for even more, Lord. Complete healing, complete deliverance, Father. And, Lord, we're asking God today as he ministers, maybe even the pulpit right now, Father, that you would give him supernatural strength. Lord, you'll continue to touch that body until it just completely steps into that well body, Father. Lord, that your word declares it would be. Father, for the elderly among us, Lord, those that can't be here, the shut-ins, Lord, God, we ask, Father, you'll meet their needs, Father. Lord, I know they're lonely and lonely times, Father. They'd love to be here right now. They'd love to be in this with believers of like precious faith. And we ask, God, you'll just strengthen them today, Father. Lift them up, I pray. Let the Holy Ghost fall in their midst, Lord. Reach down and touch every heart, we pray, Father. We need you, Lord, today. God, we ask for our brother Kenny Camp, Lord, who's been through many battles. Lord, his back troubles and pain and discomfort. Lord, you know what it's like. Lord, your back was ripped open at Calvary, Father. You know what it's like to have pain in the back and pain in your, Lord, your muscles are just completely, Lord, deteriorating. You know, Father. Lord, you paid the price for his healing, Lord. We're asking God that healing virtues will flow through his body, we pray today. 
Lord, I, I don't know if I've asked for hands, but I know if I did, Lord, there'd be hands lifted all over this building. Lord, many needs, Father, but we serve a great God for our needs. We ask, Lord, that you would come this morning. May we not take for granted this opportunity. Lord, may we lay aside every complaint and every, everything, Lord, that's hindered us before. and Lay it all aside and let your presence just so surround us, we pray. Let your Holy Ghost come into every heart and every life. We ask it in for your glory. Lord, our guests among us, may they feel welcome, Lord. But may you be the most welcome guest, Father. May we welcome you with our tears, Lord. Welcome you with our praise, Father. Welcome you with our love and our adoration, Lord God. Lay it aside everything, Father, and press into the Holy of Holies this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. God bless you today. Turn around, shake one of his hand. Welcome each other to the house of the Lord. Amen. I want to welcome everyone, all of our guests today, different ones. God bless you. Also, I want to read this. I was given this note actually at the end of service on last Sunday, and I failed to remember it. To the saints of Elon Light Tabernacle and the ministers also, words cannot convey our thanks and heartfelt gratitude for the love and concern you have shown for us the past two weeks. All the calls, the texts, the cards, the flowers, the visits, the overwhelming gift of food that was, so give, that was given, and most of all, your prayers. Each and every prayer is deeply appreciated, and I sincerely covet them still. The word that was ministered across the pulpit has been edifying, encouraging, and stabilizing and I thank the Lord for the anchor of his word. God bless each and every one of you, Sister Rachel Shaw and family. Amen. God bless you today. Amen. I ask the brothers to take up the offering. Amen. Victory is mine. Victory is mine. Oh, victory is mine. Victory is mine.
right after this song, we ask Sister Jessica and her daughters to come. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me.
forget the wonder of how you brought deliverance the exodus of my heart you found me you freed me held back the waters for my release oh
Aren't you glad he tore apart the sea? Mercy stepped into your Egypt where you were slaves, but you're no longer slaves. The chains are gone. Mercy, that's shouting stuff right there. I, I don't know. I, praise the Lord. Let's put it in the key of G for a moment. Ask Brother Philip to come. Because he lives, let's just sing that song. And because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Oh, because he lives, all fear is sing this song with me. And I never saw the cross he carried up to Calvary's hill. And I never saw the precious blood that my Savior speak. Oh, and I never heard the mob that cried, Holy, be crucified. And no, I never saw it.
Savior born. Oh, and I never saw the crown of thorns. Oh, that my Jesus wore. Oh, and I never saw that lonely hill where he was, he was crucified. And no, no, I never saw him. Oh, but I believe it was for me he died. Oh, and every step he took.
for you. Amen. Aren't you glad he paid the price? Aren't you glad you can play every name? Hallelujah. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. Oh, hallelujah. When he died, he died for me. When I was sick, he paid the price for my healing. Amen. When I was filled in the unbelief and the doubt and sin, he lifted me up, set me up on a rock to stand. I'm so glad what he did for me. Did he do something for you this morning? Did we owe him my life? We owe him my everything. We owe him my praise. Let's just worship him together today, Lord. Lord, we love you. We glorify your name because you're worthy. Because there's no one else like you. You're the Alpha, the Omega. You're the beginning, the end. Root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And what's so wonderful. You're our God. We're your children today. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your anointing. We know your anointing breaks every yoke. It tenders every spirit. It brings us in your presence. Lord, I pray that you bless your people today. Those that have assembled with us, those that are your little bride around the world, out of every kindred, tongue, nation, tribe, and people. Lord, down. Lord, little ones, little hearts, way down in Kenya that says, Brother Tim, when you mention others, mention me. Lord, there's so many around the world, Lord, that their hearts are tender today in your presence. They want to know, Lord, that you're concerned about them too, and that you know exactly where they are and what their situation is. That you can reach further down than what they can look up. Maybe they can't look up very far today. Lord, maybe way down in India and in foreign lands where they're dealing with COVID. And Lord, sickness is going. Friends are dying. Situations are happening. Lord, may they take faith today. Lord, may you put an all, a wall of fire about your people. May you cause a faith to rise in their hearts to believe to receive from you today. Lord, wherever they are, wherever they are, in the very darkest corners of the world, maybe in the very darkest situation, will you just come? Come to them today. Come to us today in this service. I pray that you'll open up the scripture to us, anoint it, Anoint the hearts of your children to receive. God, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying in this hour, this age, this time. We're yours. We surrender to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless the name of the Lord. Amen. He's been so good to us. We so appreciate him today. Amen. What a mighty God we serve. I want to welcome you all today in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And say it's just a privilege to be assembled together with believers. Amen. Men and women that loves the Lord. 
We got some of our young people over at Dallas this weekend that's attending the meetings there. Brother John Andrews speaking there, and pray that God blesses that. And there's also been some special meetings up at Brother Ben Pruitt's up in northern Arkansas, and Lord Brother Andrew Glover went to minister. We pray God will bless that. Amen. Probably they're concluding their services. They start at a different time, but and across the world, there's many that has already had their service, and you get to join in with us this evening. Amen. And uh, so, it's night there where you're at. May the Lord bless your evening and bless you abundantly today. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 15 as we look into the Word. Amen. It's good to have each one that is assembled with us. Amen. I understand the, the Mobley family is here from around Beaumont area, visiting today, and we see, we see the Lowry's here today. We welcome you, and brother, brother and sister Stanky, you made it back. Sandra, that's good. See, you in service today is wonderful to be in the house of the Lord together. And all of you that's assembled in the wonderful name of the Lord Jesus. I hope you've come to lift that name high today. Amen, to give him the praise that is due his name, and that not just in church that we do that, but every day of our lives, we surrender ourselves to him to serve him. Exodus chapter 15, verse 1, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him a habitation. My Father is God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. That's what we're going to be speaking on this morning is the Lord is a man of war. And that word, Lord, there in the, in the original, in the Hebrew, is actually Jehovah. Jehovah is a man of war. Jehovah is his name. And in the very name Jehovah is implied all might and all power, and so necessarily the strength to prevail in battle. And um, in Psalms 24, it says, Who is the king of glory? The Lord is strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. And in Isaiah 42 and 13 said, The Lord goes forth like a mighty one, and he stirs up zeal like a warrior. He shouts, yes, he roars in triumph over his enemies. So God has shown himself as a man of war, and he did this in Moses' day. And the book of Revelation, before the book closes, before that he completes the revelation that he gives to John, he shows that he is still the man of war. In Revelation 19 and 11, and I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and him that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. So he made war then, he makes war now. And in the final scene before the millennium, we just read about 
Here he comes as the God who makes war. Exodus 14, 14, uh, Israel was instructed, the Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. This scene, it opens with the children of Israel who were entrapped at the Red Sea and, and their God is reassuring them that he will personally fight for them. That they are not in this alone, that they are not going through this by themselves. Israel was not a nation of warriors. They had never been trained to fight. Israel was a bunch of slaves that had just been, uh, just been set free from their bondage. And, uh, and of course, this, this scene opens with the children of Israel entrapped and uh, at the Red Sea, and God is telling them, you know, I'm going to do the fighting for you. And, and in Exodus 23, 23, he had told them, I will be an enemy unto thine enemies and an adversary unto thy adversaries, for mine angels shall go before thee and bring thee in. And what a comfort that ought to be to a people today who have received a message that was brought to us by an angel. Amen. That the angel of the covenant has gone before us to bring us in. That we have not had to walk in a, in a, in a, in a path of, of, uh, of, of confusion, but we have been able to walk in the very leadership of God and directed by the Holy Ghost to the very hour that we're in. Isn't it comforting to know that, as the Bible said, that he that touches you toucheth the apple of his eye. Now, in Moses' day, he showed himself as one who fights his people's battles. And later in the generation after Moses, he was still showing that he was fighting for his people. And I want to just assure you today that God is still a man of war. He is still one who goes to war on the behalf of his children. If he was ever an intercessor, he's still an intercessor. If he was ever a healer, he's still a healer. If he was ever delivered, he still is a God of deliverance. In Joshua 23 and 9, even after Moses had passed off the scene, um, Joshua could recount that the Lord has driven out great and powerful nations before you, and to this day, no one can stand against you. And one of you can put a thousand to flight because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised he would. What a comfort, what a word that this is, especially in the hour that we're living in. And, and we know that even at the very day of the rapture, we are in an hour of entrapment because the Bible said that, that, we, that we should pray that we would escape the things that are coming upon the earth. So we know that we're surrounded, that in the last day that all hell breaks loose against the bride of Christ. And, and so, therefore, because of that, we are entrapped. We really can't perpetuate the ages. The ages are over. We cannot go back. You know, that, that is now behind us. We can't go around it. It is, it is something we have to face. And yet we can't face it. So therefore, the thing that we have to do is realize that there is a way out of this, that we have been commanded to lift up our head when we see these things come to pass, 
to lift up our head for our redemption draweth nigh. Amen. So we're here in the hour where, where our only way up is out of here. Amen. Our only escape, the only way that we can make it out of this, the, the mess that we're in today, that we find ourselves in the world, in the world condition, and, and society, and the society's condition, the only way out of this is, is a rapture. And we're here at a rapture hour. Now, here the, the five kings of the Amorites had come against Israel, and you remember in the days of Joshua that, that uh, as it came to pass, as they, as, they were, as they were fighting against those kings, that the Lord himself cast down great stones from heaven upon them, upon Eziak, and, and they died. And there were still more that died with hailstones and whom the children of Israel slew with the sword. It shows again that God was fighting for Israel. And it was at a time that Joshua would command the sun to stand still. And, and the Bible would say of that day that there had never been one like it before or after it, that the Lord hearkened to the voice of a man. And, and for the Lord fought for Israel. This is what it has been all down through history. God has always fought our battles. We're the children of the great most high God, and he is here in this last day to fight our battles. We can see that as he discerned the hearts, as he made demons to flee, as demons would tremble in his presence and began to call on one another, even as the prophet would discern the thoughts and intents of the heart and would tell of diseases, and those diseases and sicknesses would begin to scream to one another and said, come help me to get this one to unbelief, and they would try to band together, but every time they were defeated. Because again, the Lord is mighty in battle. Amen. Amen. Now at the Red Sea, we find that he said, the Lord will fight for you and you will hold your peace. Only put your trust in God without grudging or doubting. This is what it means. Hold your peace. Just, just put your trust in God without grudging, without doubting. Now, it was here at the Red Sea that Israel expressed their doubts and their fears and their unbelief. You know, it was here that they were complaining that they were here in the, in the entrapment they were in, the enemy coming behind them, the, the mountains on the side, the Red Sea in front of them, and how could they ever get through? And, and they, were, they began to scream and cry out and say, because there were no graves in Egypt. Has thou taken us to die in, in the wilderness? Is it, is it not this word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than us to die in the wilderness. Can you imagine? Here they were willing to trade their freedom. Amen. To remain and be slaves down in Egypt than to face what they were facing at that time. And they were now expressing their doubts and their fears. Isn't that exactly what we do as humans? I mean, we get tested instead of trusting God, we complain. Amen. Amen. We, we talk about, 
Uh, we talk about our symptoms. We talk about our problems. We bemoan the fact that God hasn't answered and that we're still waiting on God. And it seems like he's a million miles away and my prayers are going up and they're empty or they're, they're not even reaching the ceiling or whatever our thoughts are. And, that, you know, and we forget who we are. In those moments, we forget we are the sons of God. And we forget that we're in a battle. Amen. Look at the unbelief that these people exhibited. And, and, and even when they got down to the border of the promised land, down at Kadesh Barnea, there's still the same thing. It's the same old vicious cycle. God showed himself God. God proving himself real. God coming along and delivering them over and over and over again. And yet they turn and they complain and they murmur and they doubt. And by one moment they're on the mountaintop and they're shouting the victory. And the next moment they're down in the valley and they're complaining about where they're at. And I want you to know wherever you are right now, you're not there alone. There is a God that is concerned about you and your situation. No matter how dire the situation is, no matter if nobody else has ever had it this bad or this situation has never been before or there's never been an age like this age and there's never been a problem like this problem. But I want you to know God has showed himself God in every situation, every age, every time, every problem. He's never left his people fighting alone. This is a God who pledges himself to his promise. And I want you to remember, as we look here in Deuteronomy chapter 1, as Moses recounts where they were at Kadesh Barnea, I want you to remember Brother Branham would bring a Pentecost and say, you're at Kadesh Barnea. He would bring and say, the world is at Kadesh Barnea. And I want to tell you, we are right now at a time of crossing over. Don't make this a Kadesh Barnea. Make this a time of going into the promise. Deuteronomy chapter 1, 19. So we departed Horeb and went through all the great and terrible wilderness which you saw on your way to the mountains of the Amorites. As the Lord our God hath commanded, then we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. Now notice this. God is very clear through his prophet. I am giving you this. This is your mountain. These are your promises. Amen. This is your fruitful land. And I'm giving it to you. And I want you to know God has given you every great and special promise in his word. He's given you healing. He's given you deliverance. He gives the Holy Ghost. He gives the power of God. Amen. He gives a revelation of the word. He will know good thing will he withhold from them who walk uprightly. And he says, the Lord is giving this to you. It's yours. Now, look, he says, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. 
And as the Lord, God of your father, has spoken to you, do not fear or be discouraged. So he cautions them before the whole thing. Don't fear. Whatever you do, God's given to you. But here's the instructions. Don't fear. And don't be discouraged. Now, I don't know where you are today, but neither one has a place in the bride of Christ. She is not a people of fear. God has not given you the spirit of fear, but but of love and a sound mind. That sound mind is a disciplined mind, a mind that has been trained to take down strongholds, to pull down unbelief, knowing that the mind is a battleground. Come on. And every one of you will have your mind battles and every one of you will be, the enemy will come like a dark evil spirit and haunt at you. Amen. As long as you're human and as long as you're in this flesh, it did Jesus. Amen. The spirit walked right into Jesus' presence. Here, Lucifer himself and, and challenged his, his sonship. If thou be the son of God. And the devil will come along and challenge your sonship. If you were really a child of God, this wouldn't happen. If you were really a son of God, this wouldn't take place. You wouldn't have this battle. You wouldn't have that problem. Now, so you say he instructs, do not fear. How many, how many people today are dealing with anxiety? Are anxious, worried? Fearful, troubled. My, the, the, the medicine cabinets are full of people on anxiety pills. Worried about what's going to happen. Got to have something to calm their nerves. There's trouble on every hand. And you were told it, 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 it to conquer a, a promise of God. To take a hold of one of God's promises, you must not fear. So, of course, the devil comes along, and that's his weapon, his fear. He wants to come there, you know, in a hideous spirit, come along, haunt you, hover over you. You know what you're doing? Trying to hold you in slavery. Trying to keep you from from the promise of God. Amen. Now, so he says, do not fear or be discouraged. Now, Here Israel came to the edge of the promised land. We can say this, you know, that we are right here before the rapture. And and we're here, and we we know our land lays just ahead. Amen. Amen. Oh, my. It's a wonderful land that lays right ahead. Amen. Amen. There's a new body laying ahead. There's ever ever wonderful thing that sublime, as Brother Branham would say, it can match it. No word can describe it. It's, it's totally uh, indescribable. You you can't can't even draw word pictures to be able to say what it's going to be like. And we're right there on the border of it. And now, let's go back here. For a moment and see these people that were right on the border and let's hear what these men had to say because it was though they were not sure that what God said was really right in Exodus 3 and 8 
I want to remind you what God had already told them. Exodus 3 and 8, I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good land and a large, into a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Now, God has already told them, I have come down to deliver. I want you to know this is where the pillar of fire comes to a prophet of God. Amen. It parallels the rapture day that we are in. Right, right. Where again, a pillar of fire comes to a prophet of God. Amen. Right. Amen. It parallels the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. There is a message and that message is a message of deliverance. Come on. Amen. Now, you know, so he says, I am come down to deliver them, and I'm going to bring them to a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And, you know, these men can't grasp what God has said about them. They just can't believe that a bunch of slaves would inherit such a land, that somebody with as many complexes as I got, as many problems as I have, could possibly possess that. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know the problems I've been through. You don't know the problems of my marriage. You don't know the problems of my children. You don't know the problems of my past, of my ancestry, of what men and women did back there, what somebody did to me. You don't know. But God knew all of that. He knew they had been slaves. He knew they had been mistreated. He said, I saw your affliction, but I've come down to deliver you. I haven't come to leave you in your affliction. I have come to deliver you from your affliction. I'm going to be the Lord that heals you of all your diseases. I'm going to be everything a God could possibly be to you. I've come to deliver. I've come to bring you into a rapture. And that's what the message is about. It was about bringing divine healing to the people, about restoring faith. This is why the angel came. If you can get the people to believe you, amen, if you can get faith up to a level, I'll heal. Amen. I can't heal where there's doubt and unbelief. I can do no mighty miracles for people who won't believe me. So I come and I'm sending a gift to elevate your faith, to get you where you can believe. Because you've been wandering around a long time in unbelief, down in Egypt's bondage. But I've come down to bring you to a place of faith again. Where that you will believe. Now remember, this is what he said. When the Son of Man cometh, will I find church members? Now, will I find faith? I'm looking for faith. I'm looking for somebody that'll believe me. Now, that's why the angel came. That's why he comes to a prophet. That's why he comes to Moses. He has to get the people to believe him. And yes. Is more than delivering, more than just deliverance from us from sickness, but it's delivering us from unbelief. 
Amen. If God can't bring you to a place where you can believe for divine healing, then how is he going to get you to believe for rapture? Amen. If my, you know, if I got a sickness in my body and, and, you know, and there's a situation there, if I can't believe for divine healing that God can, is a healer, then how can I believe that God's going to rapture me? Are you with me? Amen. Now, that's, that, that's not the, to the individual now. If you don't have faith for this sickness and you die of it, well, you just, you, you couldn't go in the rapture. That's not what he's saying. He is saying if the church, if I can't get my church to even believe for divine healing, how am I going to get them to believe for a rapture? Why, healing will only heal that one part. If I got a bad heart, to get, a, get a, a better heart or get it renewed or get the problem fixed, but still an aged heart. Right? right? Amen. But divine, that's divine healing, you know, and, and it lasts as long as my faith lasts. But notice uh, the rapture is, is, a, is a healing from the top of the head, the sole of the feet. It's the change of the color of the hair. It's uh, getting rid of the glasses and every artificial thing. Amen. Well, you know, somebody told me the other day, said, I, Brother Tim, they, they just put, I just got an artificial knee in. I said, well, you know you can't take that in a rapture. <laughs> Plan on leaving it here. Yeah, Come on. Amen. Now, so, but a belief which is sin, you know, we, we can see it was there in Egypt but it's got to be conquered in our day in order to have a rapture. You know, and it's a good land. Let me just say again. He said, it's a good land. It's a fertile land. It's a fertile land where plants prosper and bloom in abundance. So much that bees that make their honey from it, it's sweetness. And where cows and the goats, uh, you know, and the milk camels give their milk from the grass that is nourished by this rich soil. It's a good land. It flows with milk and honey. The pastures are lush. Amen. There, it's a good land. Can we say it today? It's a good land where there is healing and miracles in the Holy Ghost. It's a good land where we prosper in its abundance and tithe of its goodness. Amen. It's a good land where we can raise children up to serve the Lord. Amen. Amen. Where, where our young people can be filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. It's a good land where there are sanctified homes and, and good marriages. It's a good land. I'm talking about the promised land of this word is a good land. Hallelujah. Now, so he says, in verse 22, he talks about every one of you came near to me and said, let us send men before us. Let us search out the land for us and bring back word to us by the way we should go and, and of the cities into which we would come. And, and I, I can't help but wonder, so why do we need men to go and give a report when God has chosen the land for you and said, it's a good land? Why distrust God? Why question the word? Why, why somebody, send somebody over there to, to find out if it's really true? And Moses, you know, he said, you know, it sounded sensible to him, said, 
the plan pleased me well, so I took 12 of your men, one man from each tribe. They departed, went to the mountain, came to the valley of Eskol and spied it out, and they took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us, and they brought back word to us saying, it's a good land which the Lord our God has given you. Nevertheless, you would not go up but you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God and you complained in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us. Can you imagine how these words stung the Almighty? As it slaps him in his face, I mean, here, his great love and his compassion has been moved toward the people. And they respond and said, you brought us here because you hate us. You brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. I'm going to just tell you, God didn't call us out of denominations for us to die somewhere. Amen. God did not call us out and send an angel. Come on. Send a prophet, the seventh messenger, the seventh angel, and send a message to us to abandon us in the wilderness, to just let us die here. It isn't because he hates us, it's because he loved us. He loved us so much, he wouldn't leave us out there. He wouldn't leave us in sin bondage. I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to bring you to a place where milk and honey flows. Amen. Where the, where the, it's lush. It's wonderful. It's, my, my, the, the honey is sweet and the milk is nourishing. Amen. There's, there's plenty of it for the families. There, nobody goes hungry. Amen. Everybody is filled to the room, to the brim. Every need is supplied. I'm a God who wants to supply all your needs. Where, where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts saying the people are greater and taller than we and the cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of Anakim there. Now listen, here again, they, the problem becomes exaggerated in their sight. There was no wall that was fortified all the way up to heaven. Neither did they look like grasshoppers in their sight. They felt like grasshoppers in their own sight. It's because of how they viewed their own self. Is that right? And God comes along in this day to send a message to you to change, turn your heart where you view every promise of God to be true and real for you. And they said, we can't take it. And that evil report discouraged their hearts. It, it demoralized them. You see, it takes faith to fight. Because no one can fight without faith. Are you with me? Now, you might think if I have faith, then I won't have to fight. And that's the mistake people make. They think, well, if I had faith, I wouldn't have to fight. No, the faith is given to you to fight with. Amen. Faith is the strength to hold the sword. Amen. The power to weld the weapon. 
The sword is the word, but the word is useless. No matter how sharp it is. No matter if it's known to defeat the devil anywhere, any place, anytime. The sword is useless in the scabbard. The sword is useless as decoration. The sword is only good if it's taken in the hand of faith and pressed to the heart of the enemy. That's the only time it cuts. That's the only time it'll break through. So you might think, oh, well, if we had faith, Brother Tim, we wouldn't have a battle. No, we have faith. That's why we fight. Fighters can't fight without faith. Well, God gave us the land. Why ain't I got it? Because you've got to fight for it. But I gave it to you. That's all you need to know. I've given it to you. That's all you need to know for any promise that you're looking for today is God gave it to me. It's mine. And he gave me a weapon that is able to defeat the devil anywhere, anyplace, anytime. Come on. And that's the word of God. Is that right? And I made sure your word is sharp. There ain't never been an age that the word has been so sharpened and honed. Amen. All the rust of the ages has been taken off of it. Is that right? Amen. The things that dulled the sword in other ages, Trinity doctrines, ideas of man, creeds of man that would dull the effect of the word has all been stripped away. Amen. God has made sure that it's sharp. The word of God to be sharp. And he would show us how sharp it was. He said it could divide between soul and spirit. It could go right down into the very most secret parts of man and expose the sin thereof. Now, you know, he gave laws concerning warfare. Now, the reason I'm talking about this, because I'm preaching on the Lord is a man of war. But if he's a man of war... His people are a people of war. So he's going to fight the battle, but he's not going to fight it in the man of Galilee. Jesus is not going to come down and fight your battle. Not in the nail-scarred body. The only way he's going to come is as the Holy Spirit to come use your body to face your Goliath. No preacher can do it. Nobody else can do it. It's your battle. You've got your own battle to win. Is somebody with me? Amen. You've got your own enemy to conquer. You've got your own Goliath. Oh, yeah, your demons are unique. You praise them enough. Nobody's got devils like I got. Nobody fights battles like I fight. Nobody's got problems like I got. So, yeah, yours are unique to you. But you got them, I got them. Everybody's got them. And you got to fight them. Say, I have depression, Brother Tim. I ask why. Why ain't you fighting it? 
You see, you can't win a battle without fighting. And faith is not a decoration. Faith is there for you to fight with. It gives you, it's the courage that you need to hold on to the promise. There's laws concerning warfare, but Deuteronomy 20 and 1. When thou goest out to battle against thine enemies, and you see horses and chariots, and a people more than thou, be not afraid of them. For the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Notice here. Now, your enemies, they got horses and they got chariots. Israel had no horses. They didn't have chariots. In fact, the matter is, God told them even not to have them. Even when Joshua would win this battle, he said, I want you to kill every one of them and hamstring every horse. What was it? He did not want them depending on human abilities. He wanted them to know that he was the one that was the force in the battle. Amen. Now, they've got horses and they got chariots. That's what they're relying on. But he says, but the Lord thy God is with thee. So they got horses, they got chariots, but we got God. Amen. Like Isaiah said, for these Egyptians are mere humans, not God. Their horses are puny flesh, not mighty spirits. And when the Lord raises his fist against them, those who help them will stumble and those being helped will fall and they will all fall down and die together. Amen. So this is, this is Isaiah's prophecy when he was telling them, you're fighting humans. Now we are fighting spirits, but I want you to know there has never been a spirit that has ever overcome the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And it shall be when you come nigh unto the battle that the priest, now watch, the priest the priest was called, it was one that was appointed to address the troops, to give them encouragement, and they, he is called the anointed for war. And that's what every preacher's got to be. Amen. Every preacher of the gospel's got to be a man anointed for war. We're going to battle it out. We're going to rally the troops. We're going to say, God is on our side. We're going to say, we're more than able to take the land. We're going to say, our weapon is the word. And it's a quiz. It's up to meeting any enemy, anytime, any place, anywhere. The word of God is supreme. That's the job of the preacher. For he said, when you approach the people, speak to the people and, and so say to them, Hear, O Israel, you approach this day against battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint. Fear not. Do not tremble. Neither be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you to fight for you against your enemy to give you the victory. Amen. This is instruction to every ministry. Amen. That they are to rally the troops that when you approach the battle, you say, Brother Tim, I get prayed for, and next week I have an awful battle. Of course. What do you think? You challenged the enemy. You told him he, he doesn't belong on your property. Amen. You upset his apple cart. Amen. You, you messed up his play day. Amen. You, you, you've caused the enemy to rise up. 
Well, I'll just let sleeping dogs lie. Well, leave with, live with your demons if you want to. That's not the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ says, ain't nothing staying on my property. This is God's land he gave to me, and this is an invader. Amen. Now, so then again, the officers are to address the army, saying, has any man built a new home and not dedicated? Let him return home, or he may die in battle and another dedicated. Has any man planted a vineyard? Now, look what he's doing. He's going through there, and he says, I want, the officers are saying, now look now, is there anybody here that planted a vineyard and you hadn't ate of it? Is there anybody here that, you know, has built a house and, and hadn't yet lived in it? Let him return home lest he die in battle and another man enjoy its fruit. He's, what's he doing? He's sending people home. People home who, who, isn't, who isn't ready to win, whose mind is more on something else. Well, if I die, ain't there somebody else eat mine from my vineyard? If I, you know, if I die, somebody else is living my house. Amen. The, the officer is saying, is there any man, verse 6 or verse 8, is there any man that is fearful or afraid or faint-hearted? He's saying, Go home. We don't need you. What if, we, what if we did that kind of preaching in the church? If you don't want to go in a rapture and you're more worried about your 401k, stay home. If you're more worried about politics and all this going on in the world and how to fix it here, go home. Stay here. But for me, amen, I'm going in a rapture. For me, I'm going to win this battle. For me, I'm going to pursue my enemy. For me, I'm going to conquer. The Bible tells you that he's told them, they said, let him return home so the hearts of his brother will not melt like his own because fear and discouragement is contagious. You know that. You sit down with somebody in a little while and they're, they're fearful and all of a sudden you get shivering. And they're, they're, you know, they're discouraged and you walk out like, oh my goodness. Fear and discouragement are contagious. I want to say, if you've got anything discouraging to say, shut up. I don't want to hear it. Whatsoever is not of faith is of sin. Come on. It's time to look in the promise of God. Don't talk fear. Talk faith. Amen. You know, listen, get your stinking heads out of CNN and all the liberal stations. Well, that they're promoting all this fear and all this trouble and, and all the liberal media and all the other stuff and changing your mind and pulling you down. And if you can't go to school and, not, and, and tune out, you know, the, 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 
the teachers that will come along and say, there ain't no God and there ain't real and, and you know, and, and challenge your beliefs and you know, you, you know there, there's nothing to it and nothing to religion. That's as far as they know. Amen. You know, it's like a, a man was sitting there one day listening to an atheist talk. And Brother Branham tells this story. He said he's sitting to an iPod, this, this atheist talk. Oh, there's no God I can prove and this and that, you know. And he was just laying out his case. And a little boy there didn't look like he had much sense was sitting over eating on an apple. And listen to him. Finally, he looked at him. And he said, hey, 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 sir, said, uh, is this apple I'm eating, is it sweet or sour? He said, I don't know, boy, you're the one eating it. He said, that's what I thought. They don't know there's a God because they ain't never had an experience. But I know a God. I know a God that heals. I know a God that's real. I know a God that delivers. I've seen my God in action. I've seen him raise men up from the dead things of sin and turn their lives again around again and make a scene out of them. I've seen my God in action. You don't know. You've never tasted. But I'll taste and see. For the Lord is good. You better have the Holy Ghost sitting on your ear filtering what's coming through because without the Holy Ghost, it'll absolutely twist your mind all around. Well, I got television for the news. What news? A bunch of filthiness that'll change your mind, make you perverted, make you think things that totally against the word of God make you make you listen when you hear the prophet's voice it's archaic and and, and something of oh the dark ages somewhere don't talk fear talk faith now what is Satan's weapon against you doubt unbelief discouragement discouragement is the loss of confidence you're discouraged this morning because you lost confidence. You really lost confidence that God's able. Or it's a loss of enthusiasm. Which Brother Branham said himself in 1965, Easter Seal, you must never lose your enthusiasm. So discouragement is loss of confidence or enthusiasm. Depression it's feelings of severe despondency or rejection. So, you know, you get depressed. Nobody cares for me. Nobody loves me. Nobody's ever been through what I've been through. Nobody's got time for me. Nobody cares. That's a lie. Not only does God's people care, Maybe they can't live with you and be with you 24-7 every minute of the day keeping you propped up. That's what you got the Holy Ghost for. Come on. 
You want a pastor to be your Holy Ghost, always there to lift you up and always there in, in any moment. You, know, you, need the, you need not a pastor, you need the Spirit of God. Amen. It will be your comforter in the dark times. But, the, you know, there again, the, the depression is feelings or, of severe despondency or rejection. And there's so many people feel so rejected. Oh, you know, nobody, nobody understands me. Nobody, I, you know, I'm different. I, I'm, I'm a little peculiar. I, well, what you're saying is you're unique. Well, all of us are. I'm unique. You're unique. Every one of us, we're not cookie cutters. Everybody isn't in the same mold. Is that right? Amen. So, you know, there, there again, you, you have depression as a feeling of rejection. Nobody cares. God cares. He cared so much that he become a man. That is Brother Philip saying this morning on the cross, he died for me. When he died, he was doing nothing for me. God so loved me that he gave his only begotten son. I can't even speak for the world. I just know what he did for me. And yet he says, God so loved the world. So what is Satan's weapon? against you is to try to get you to disbelieve or have no faith in your weapon. That'll disarm you. Listen, if he can get you to believe that your weapon is not strong enough, he has you disarmed. He disarmed you when, when he gets you to disbelieve that, that weapon, when you lay that down, when, in that moment when your faith turns to jello. And you put down your sword. When you quit saying, it's thus saith the Lord. It's thus saith the Lord. This is what God said. And he never fails. Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. When you, when you quit, when you start laying it down. Amen. When you stop for just a moment and begin to listen to your adversary. As I've said, a lot of people come to me and say, Brother Tim, the devil's been talking to me. Well, that ought to stop it right there. You, you need, need not tell me no more. If you realize the devil's talking to you, then consider the source, please. The devil's been talking to me. Okay, so the devil has. He the devil talks to me too. It's the devil. What do you think devils do? Devils torment. Devils don't come and prop me up and help me along and make me jolly and happy. What devils don't do that? Tor devils torment. Devils come along and, and question my faith. They question my belief. They question believing who I am as the Son of God. They question the Word. Devils come along and put every other thought above the Word of God. That's what devils do. That's devils' work. But your work is in my name, you shall cast out devils. Hallelujah. You don't have to listen to him. Shut him up. Then he says, 
I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. This is what Moses said. Don't be afraid. Don't be terrified. The Lord who goes with you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness, you saw. Now he comes and brings the testimonies. You saw how the Lord your God carried you as this man carries his son. And all the way you went until you came to this place, you saw it. You saw you saw you didn't make this way alone. You didn't get here by yourself. You look back over life's journey and you realize, I couldn't have made it by myself. It was him that carried me in the tough times. I remember years and years ago, and of course now it's become a plaque and now it's on everybody's walls, but many, many years ago in the early 70s, it came out a little story about a man who looked back on life's journey. You remember footprints. He looked back on life's journey and, and he saw the two, two sets of footprints in the sand. And then he comes to some of the roughest and the most hardest times of his life and there was only one set. And the man's looking back and he says, Lord, why is it? Why is it in all of the times when it was easy, you were right there walking with me? How come when things were going good and the paycheck was coming in, the kiddies were well and, and there was no struggles at home and there were no problems in the church and well, why is it, you know, that you walked with me? But when trouble came in those dark times, there's only one set of footprints. How come you left me? He said, child, you don't understand. The reason you're seeing one set of footprints is because during those times I carried you. When you couldn't make another step. When you couldn't put another foot in front of you. I picked you up. And I carried you right through. He's carrying you this morning. When you can't make it on your own. He's there carrying you. Isaiah 63 and 8 says... For he said, surely they're my people. Oh, I love it when God says, that's my people. That's my son. That's what happened when you got the Holy Ghost. It was God saying, this is my son. I'm pleased to dwell in him. Surely they are my people, children that will not lie. In other words, children that will be true to me. So he was their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. Think of that. You don't go through a thing that he isn't hurt with it too. And the angel of his presence saved them and in his love and his pity he redeemed them and he bare them and carried them all the days of old. So here was Isaiah saying this but you can just name a scripture. Name a time through the scripture that he wasn't there carrying his church. He carried him in the dark ages. He carried him in Luther's age. He was there carrying him in Methodist age. Come on. He was there in the Pentecostals on the Sousa Street. He was there in William Branham's ministry. He's right here today. Amen. I'm right there with you. And, and I carried him all the days of old. Then he says there, yet for all of that, 
You, didn't, you did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tents and to show you the way you should go in the fire by day and the cloud by night. I, I led you by a pillar of fire. You didn't get here on your own. You just sit and wander here. You didn't wander aimlessly in the wilderness. I, I picked out the camps for you. Amen. Amen. I brought the church through Luther, and I brought them through Wesley, and I brought them through Azusa. I brought them through the message of the hour, and I'm here to take you all the way to the rapture. And the Lord heard the sound of your words, and he was angry. And he took an oath saying, surely not one of these men of these evil generations shall see the good land which I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh, and he shall see it unto him and his children. I'm given the land on which they walk because he wholly followed the Lord. Moreover, your little ones and your children who you say will be victims today that will who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in there, and to them I will give it, and they will possess it, but for you, go wander in the wilderness. God reaches a point until he says, I'm through with your rebellion. Amen. Amen. Oh, he would look over and he'd say, oh, faithless and perverse generation, God wants a people that believes him. So what a sad ending for people who started out so jubilant with a high hand, but were, were kept out of the promised land. Because of their unbelief. You see, they received the word, but they didn't mix it with faith. You see, they wanted a God who was a God of war. But they themselves didn't want to yield their bodies to be the one he fought through. They were willing for God to mow down their enemy. But they didn't want to wield the sword. They wanted to have a slave mentality. Let somebody else do your fighting. Now, God's going to do your fighting, but he's going to fight through you. So you're going to be in the heat of the battle. So you don't, do, you don't, don't expect to be on a picnic while God does it. Expect yourself to be in the midst of the battle and God fighting through you. Are you with me? This is why he said in 1 Timothy 6, 12, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto also you're called. You see, this is, this is what you have to be, be tenacious. You lay hold on a promise. You don't let go of it. If God said, I can be healed, then I can be healed. You say, I'm 80 years old. It doesn't matter. Everybody said, well, I'm 90. That don't matter. So I'm 100. It don't matter. Our God's a healer regardless of whether you're young or whether you're old, whether you're middle-aged, whatever. He's the healer. And his promises are just as real for you as anybody else. God is willing to show up in you the moment he can get you to believe him. Let's go back to the time where God let him out. These Israelites were slaves down in Egypt. But then when Israel realized who their God was, that he was a man of war, then his people was supposed to also become a people of war. Too long they had lived a defeated people. They had lived in slavery. For many of them, they still had a defeated mentality. Wanting somebody else to care for them. 
They lived with their demons. They were whipped by them every day. Sound familiar? They looked at themselves as downtrodden. People who would always be this way. A, a forgotten people. Yes, they remembered a God of history to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but it seemed that the gods of Egypt were more powerful. And they were caught in this situation, seemed like forever. But God had given a promise. Amen. And he had to do something now to turn their hearts back to faith. Does that sound familiar? Don't you know why Elijah the prophet was sent on this day? To get people to believe in again. Now Moses, when he looked on them, he looked on them with different eyes. He actually disdained being the, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he esteemed greater the, the, the reproaches of, of, of Israel than the treasures of Egypt. So he looked at them with a different eye. He, he saw them as a people who God was going to free, who were to be liberated, who had never reached their potentials, who all they had ever known was how to be a mud dabber and to build something for Satan's kingdom. Amen. But Moses looked at them with different eyes. He saw them as God saw them. When God looked up on them, he said, these are my people. They are not mud daubers. They don't belong to Pharaoh. They are not slaves. They are my children. And I have come down to deliver them. The problem is, too many people look at themselves still as slaves. Servants to failures. Always defeated. Unable to win. A loser. Well, Brother Tim, I don't even know why I'm here tonight. I, I don't know why I even come up in this prayer line. I don't even know why I'm asking for prayer. I tell you, I've been up here so many times. Why are you coming up? Stay in your seat. You're just going to go back another failure. You come down, believe in you're a failure, believe in the, you know, it ain't going to happen this time. I'll try again. No, don't even try. Sit there in your cotton picking seat until you finally realize my God is real. My God is a healer. My God is triumphant over his enemy. My God will prevail. My God will overcome. My God has never failed any place, anywhere, anytime. And I'm coming down to meet my God. You got to quit looking at yourself as a slave. I am not a slave to this thing in my life. I'm not a slave to this affliction. I don't have to live with this monkey on my back. I'm a people who has promised deliverance. Amen. You can't look at yourself as slaves and servants to failures, always defeated, unable to win, a loser. You know, David realized he was a winner because God was on his side. 
Amen. He realized that, you know, in, in comparison to the weaponry of the enemy, that, you know, his, his weapon was a slingshot and the enemy's was a big sword and a spear and a seer, you know, like a weaver's beam and a, and a helmet and, and all the protection and, and the big shield and all of the, the ornaments of warfare. And he, he had fought battle after battle after battle and he knew how to handle himself. And David's never fought nothing but a lion and a bear. Huh? Nothing but a lion and a bear. That's what we look at. We look and we see the enemy, but then we judge things as, well, all of that may be true, but you come to me in the name of a Philistine, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God of Israel, and I am anointed to bring you down. Hallelujah, do you know you have been anointed for the throne? To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Even as I overcame, I had to fight. I fought for my throne, you fight for yours. But David said this day, I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds. This day, I'm going to take your head off. And he didn't even have a sword. He said, I'll use the devil's sword. Isn't it about time we turn the thing that the devil has been using us against him? Tell him what a defeated being that he is, that he ain't chosen, that he ain't called, that nobody loves him. Ain't it about time that you look back at your adversary and tell him what he's been telling you? You was a failure from the beginning. You were predicted to be a failure at the end. I have been called to be an overcomer to see. I shall rise above every difficulty because I have not been called to lose. I have been born to win. to be defeated. I came to win. I come to conquer. I come to rise above the enemy. I come to triumph. And how can you do that with him? Because greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Hallelujah. David said, for by thee, by my God, I have run through a troop, and by my God, I've leaped over a wall. I've went over insurmountable things by my God. I've run through the troop of death by my God. I've done all of this by my God. Because my God, my Lord is the Lord, a man of war. Now, God brings Israel to the Red Sea. They must learn. They must learn something very important that you must take note of today. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, God is faithful. 
We could preach a whole sermon on that. God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you're able, but with will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to, be, to bear it. So, so let me tell you, he is our escape. So you're not trapped after all. He's your escape. Now, Deuteronomy 33 would say, there is no God like, the, no one like the, the God of Jeshua. Now, that word is God's name for Israel, meaning the upright one. So he says, there is no God like the God of the upright ones. So many times, we know we got to pray the prayer of faith. We know the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So we go to pray and we get reminded of our past. Now God doesn't do that. The devil does that. He, that's, he's the adversary. So this is the weapons of his warfare. So he comes right down, you know, and he reminds you of your past. He reminds you of your failures. He remembers how many times you tried and failed. And so, you know, then, then he reminds you, he, he tells you you are unrighteous. Now, let's talk about this for a moment. Because when our sins are plunged in the blood of Jesus... Then we are the upright ones. Not because we've done everything right, but because he even the score. He crossed out the failures. His blood atoned for our loss. Come on, somebody. Amen. Dude, this is what it is. You know, we are the upright ones. So therefore, any of us can pray the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous one because, you know, because our righteousness is not in our own efforts. Our righteousness is on what God did for us. There's no God but the God of Jeshurun who rides across the heavens to help you. On the clouds in his majesty, the eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. He will drive out your enemies before you, saying, destroy them. Wait, he's going to drive them out, and he tells you to destroy them. So Israel will live in safety and Jacob will dwell secure in the land of grain and new wine where heavens drop dew. Blessed are you, Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and helper and your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you and you will tread on their heights. These are the things that God said about Israel. And in the book of Exodus where we've been reading, the Bible said, it came to pass in the morning watch. That's just before the dawn. Now here, they're surrounded. Here the enemy's behind them. But now just before the morning watch, just, just before the dawn, in the morning watch, just before the dawn, let me tell you, it's just before the dawn, little children. 
Can you hear me? Amen. We are here. The Bible said we'll need a way of escape. That we should pray always to escape the things coming on the earth. That escape is a rapture. Amen. It was impossible to get to a Red Sea. It's impossible for you to pick yourself up by the bootstraps and get out of here. You know it's going to take a supernatural God to get you out of the mess you're in today. Come on, somebody. But I want you to understand where we're at. It's morning. Hallelujah. It's morning. Let me tell you, it's just before the dawn. It's, the prophet said, Shalom. Amen. It's the greatest darkness ever, but it's a time when the Lord, a capital L-O-R-D, turns his eye upon the enemy. So I want you to see this, Exodus 14, 24. It came to pass in the morning, watch, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians. Now, watch these words as we talk about it because God now waits until the last person is across the Red Sea. Now, there was several million of them to go across. But the last one had to finally make it over. Come on. The last one had to get on the other side. The last one. I hope you're hearing what we're saying now. God waits until the last person is safely through the Red Sea. Now watch. Don't get offended here. Don't shut me down here. But the Red Sea represents Pentecost in the types. I'm not talking about Azusa Street. Amen. But I'm talking about the book of Acts Church. I'm talking about the day of Pentecost. I'm talking about the original experience. And God has to let the last person get the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Oh, church, come on. You're wanting to see the Lord come. Oh, we want to see him come. Oh, that's the rapture, the trouble, the trouble. Get the last one in. Amen. Don't give up on altar calls. Don't give up on Holy Ghost meeting. Don't give up on the power of God to save the lost. Don't, God, come on, don't quit believing for your children. Don't be satisfied to leave one of them out there. Everybody's got to come through the Red Sea. Get up through Pentecost. Get up at the experience with God. Get them filled with the Holy Ghost. Because we can't go. The enemies, come on somebody, all the enemies can't be destroyed and are safely on the other side till the last one comes in. Well, there's no more intercessor. That's a devil's lie. There's no more mediator. That's a devil's lie. Come on, church. Amen. This is what he was doing. He was mediating on their behalf. He began to look down at the sea with angry eyes. He looked at Pharaoh and all his army with angry eyes. Hallelujah. Why do you think this message was accompanied by a pillar of fire? Come on, somebody. Why do you think that night after night he showed himself over and over again? Why do you think God looked through diseases through a pillar of fire? That's a devil. That's a demon. And that demon's got to go. If I can 
believe in a moment. Hallelujah. Because he looked at him with angry eyes. And God's about to turn his eyes on America. God's about to turn his eyes on, on, the, on the liberal condition. God is about to turn his eyes on the devil. And look through the pillar of fire. Now, if you're looking through CNN, you don't see what I'm talking about. If you're looking through the liberal agenda today or even the conservative agenda. God's about to get the last one through. The last person is about to step on the other side. Then the angry eyes of God will fasten upon Lucifer. Now, when I say Pentecost, I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. I am not talking about Azusa Street. This is not a repeat of Pentecost or the return. The Azusa Street movement represented that again in that they spoke with tongues. And we are not simply repeating gifts. And besides all of that, let's just get some clarification here that Azusa Street was misnamed Pentecost. It was not Pentecost. Brother Branham goes to great lengths to explain that in the church age book over and again and even in his sermons. Azusa Street was not the original grain. It was not what God planted in the beginning, returning back to its mature form again. It was only a stage of the plant. It was a shuck and not the grain. But I want you to understand again that the Red Sea here, and, and I'm going to belabor this point for a few minutes. And like I said, don't misunderstand. Don't get sidetracked and don't get in the wrong direction. And if you're listening to me out there across the land, I am not advocating going back to Azusa Street. And the confusion and the unbelief and the darkness and the things and, and, and the evil spirits that got in the whole movie, I, we're not even talking about, we're talking about a book of Acts church. But I do want to remind you the job of Malachi 4 was to turn the hearts of the children back to the faith of the Pentecostal fathers. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about Malachi 4 was to turn our hearts back to that faith. Now, Azusa Street, as I said, was misnamed Pentecost. It was not. I want you to understand what Pentecost is. It was what we saw in the book of Acts, and it's what God is bringing about in this last day with his end-time message. This is the Jubilee. This is the seven sevens. This is the end of the church ages. In this day, the day of Pentecost fully comes. Pentecost means 50, and there were seven Sabbaths from the Passover called the Feast of Weeks, and these seven Sabbaths re represented seven church ages. And when you reach the end of the last age, then the day of Pentecost or the 50th comes. And we are in the jubilee of all jubilees. Now, just quickly, let's talk, talk, talk about the feast for a moment 
so we can understand. Because Brother Branham talks about this Red Sea that we, that we have been preaching about. That we've said everyone must get through. He said it's Pentecost. And he said Passover, or, or this is the way the, the feasts are. Passover is the feast of salvation. In both Testaments, the blood of the Lamb delivers from slavery, and the Jew from, from Egypt, and the Christian from sin. So both of them are delivered from slavery. And it's no coincidence that Jesus was sacrificed on, the, on Passover, at Passover time. And in Egypt, the Jew marked his house with the blood of the Lamb. And today, every Christian must mark his house or his body, the house of his spirit with the blood of Jesus Christ. Everyone must have the token, the blood, the Holy Ghost. Now, the next day after the Passover becomes a feast of unleavened bread. Leviticus 23, 6, it puts the second feast on the next night, on the 15th day of the second month, is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. Again, God laid these things out in the natural. We can look at them as a spiritual Israel and see ourselves in the types. Because once again, this type seven church age, because seven days we are commanded to eat bread without leaven. Unleavened bread in the New Testament of course, is the body of our Lord. He's described as the bread of life. He was born in Bethlehem, which in Hebrew means the house of bread. And the, the church is to feast on him. Amen. The word of life until he comes. Right? Now, and it's to all be unleavened. As Brother Branham said, seven days, what does that typify? The complete seven church ages, seven days, and the whole church age from beginning to end has only to live only on the word of God of that age. So notice, again, the seven days of unleavened bread in itself is a type of seven church ages where we are to eat on the living, unleavened bread of the body word of the Son of Man. Each one getting their portion or their piece broken off for their day. Now, then, of course, comes Sunday morning, following the unleavened bread. Remember, morning cometh. And on that, on that Sunday morning, the day after the Sabbath, uh, following the, the unleavened bread, it, it begins the first fruits. And it's the feast of acknowledging the fertility of the land that God gave the Israelites. And they were to bring the early crops of the spring planting and wave a sheep before the Lord. You remember this in the Bible. And of course, this celebrates to us the resurrection of the Lord on first fruits, which, which, incurred, which incurred exactly the same time that the high priest was waving the first fruits on that Sunday morning. Out of the dead came the first fruits of the resurrection. Hallelujah. And he didn't come alone, but all the Old Testament saints rose with him. Is that right? And appeared unto many, or was waved or showed before them that the land is good and the word is fertile, and it comes to pass just like he said. Hallelujah. Now, 
From the day after that Sabbath, they start counting seven days. Or, or, or 50 days, or seven Sabbaths. Seven Sabbaths would be seven times seven is 49. The next day, the Jubilee. The 50th day is called the day of Pentecost. And when the seventh Sabbath, um, since pa- when, when the seventh Sabbath uh, since Passover, or the Feast of Weeks, it began, has been completed. Now, so we know then by all of this, if I just stop briefly and explain, the first four fruits reveals that Jesus was crucified on Passover. He was buried on, unle- on unleavened bread. He was raised on the first fruits. And 50 days later, he sends the Holy Spirit to us right. on Pentecost. Right. Now, I want to say that even that was a type because it was prefiguring, again, what God would do in a Gentile church. So we had the Passover 2,000 years ago, but now we have marked seven weeks, and now we come back to Pentecost or to the Jubilee again. Are you with me? Now, you know, so we are now at the end of the seventh church age, which brings us to the end of the Feast of Weeks, and the beginning of the Jubilee. It's the time where the Jubilee trumpet sounds. It's the time where, where that, um, that, that becomes what is called the day of Pentecost when it fully comes because these weeks have been rolling up. Church age is now rolling up and grinding down until it finally comes to where it's all complete. The 50 days are complete. The cycle is complete. The church ages are complete. And we're living in the end of the last church age. There are no more. So we're right here at the Pentecost of all Pentecost. Now, did you know what the did you know that during Pentecost that the Jews read the book of Ruth every Pentecost? This is what they read, the book of Ruth. Now, what is it? It's where the man of war becomes the intercessor, the go-between, the kinsman redeemer. And to do that, Christ has to put on the garments of warfare. Now, his garments of warfare, he will take on human flesh to become the warrior God where he literally fights Human battles just like you fight human battles. So that there's nothing you go through that your general hadn't went through. There is nothing that you got to conquer that your general hasn't conquered for you already. He showed you it can be done. And I'm going to lead you now into battle. Are you with me? Now, so it's the man of war becomes the intercessor, the go-between, the kinsman, redeemer. And so Christ puts on the garments of war. Let's look at him in Isaiah 59. He saw that there was no man. He was amazed that there was no one to intercede. Isaiah 59, 16. So his own arm brought salvation. And his own righteousness sustained him. 
and he put on righteousness like a breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head and he put on, on garments of vengeance. Oh my. Vengeance. Now as kinsman, he is not just kinsman redeemer, but he's also kinder avenger. Amen. Amen. So he does purchasing work at Calvary. Amen. Come on. Redeeming the book, claiming work. Amen. By opening the seven seals. So we're in the days of his claiming work, but he's about to bring forth his avenging work. Hallelujah. There's going to be a tribulation for those that trouble you. The devil is in trouble. His kingdom is coming down. Did you hear what I'm saying? Give me a little more sound up here, Brother Tim. Amen. So he will repay, listen to what he's going to do. He's going to repay according to their deeds, fury to his enemies. Oh, wait a minute. Amen. Retribution to his foes, recompense to the islands, so that they that fear the name of the Lord where the sun sets and his glory where it rises, for he will come like a raging flood driven by the breath of the Lord. Oh, my, this is how he's coming. With a flood against his enemy. Lay, lay, when the enemy comes in, then like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord lifts up a standard against him. Hallelujah. Now, this is him. The Redeemer will come to Zion. So the Redeemer comes to the bride to further his redemption work. It's not that he ceases redemption. He is completing redemption. He did his purchasing work at Calvary. Now he does claiming work. And he first claims the book. Hallelujah. That was sealed with seven seals that no one could look upon until he came. Because he was the only one worthy to be able to do it. And he claims the book because it's the book of our inheritance. And when he claims it, he is claiming it for you. He is claiming it for me. Come on, somebody now. Amen. And he claims the people for his namesake, the names that are written in the book. So as kinsmen... He is not only kinsman redeemer to purchase back what we lost, but he also does the claiming work in order that he might be the avenger of blood because he's going to pay back everything that the devil's done. I'm telling you, friends, you're not the one in trouble in this age. The pillar of fire, amen, he's looking through that pillar of fire with angry eyes at the adversary. Look what you've done since Eden. Amen, look what you've done. I'm coming to pay retribution. Look what you've done in the dark ages. I've come to pay back. Amen, look what you've done to my children right here in this last age. Amen. I've come to take up their cause. I have come down to deliver. I'm coming with a shout, with a message. And that message is, let my people go. Hallelujah. That's what he said to sickness, diseases, 
affliction, sin, folks, doctrine, every day. Let my people go. You can't seal the book no more. You can't hold the promise back no more. You can't keep the pride away from the word no more. Not no more. Not no more. It's over, devil. It's over. I'm claiming my inheritance. I'm claiming those who I redeemed. The claimant will be so complete. I'll rise and raise them up in Paul's and Regan and Martin and Luther and Wesley and William Branham and every one of the dead in fact arise because he's claiming the names that are in the book. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. No wonder Isaiah would look and see him coming. Now it's a child that's coming. A son is going to be born. A child is going to be given. But his name is called Wonderful and Counselor the Mighty God, El Gibor, the, the warrior God. This is what he's going to be. He's going to be God as a warrior. And he's going to step right down into human bodies. Amen. Amen. To get in that human body. Amen. Through that redemption, he can get in your redeemed human body to continue the war against sin, against doubt, against unbelief, against sickness. Somebody help me preach now. He's a God of war. Now, when Moses said, the Lord is a man, he wasn't a man yet. But again, this was prophesying of the incarnation of Christ. For yet he was not really a man. Although he was prophesied a seed would come since Genesis, Amen. he would be a man. Right. Amen. He would come as a man, but yet he's not a mere man, Amen. <laughs> but he's a man of war. Right. Come on, somebody. Or a warrior. He's one that is experienced in war. Right. Amen. He's fought with many powerful enemies, right. Satan and his principalities and his powers. The world, the great men of it, the Antichrist, a warrior that's well-versed in all the arts of war. He's abundantly qualified to be the man of war. He has achieved wisdom and strength and courage and thoroughly dressed for it. He's been preparing for this battle. Hallelujah. Amen. And he's dressed for it. He's got on the helmet of salvation, the garment of vengeance, amen, a cloak of zeal. He's got a passion about it. He's got a passion about his bride. He's got a passion about her deliverance. He's got a zeal. He would say the zeal for my house has eaten me up. And he's going for conquering and to conquer. He's a victorious one. 
He's conquered sin, Satan, the world, and he'll subdue others. And he makes his people more than conquerors. He said, I'm a conqueror, but you're going to be more than one. And he is the captain of the Lord's army or the host. He is the leader and commander of his people. He is the general of the armies in heaven and earth. And he's a prince and king at the head of them. He's all of it. He's Alpha and Omega, beginning to the end. That's our Redeemer. And he came to dwell in us at Pentecost. So like I said, at Pentecost, the story of Ruth is read. Ruth's story is one of a Gentile woman, an outcast, a rejected race, a reject, that comes into the promised land at barley harvest and becomes married to the owner of the field and winds up owning the field. Hallelujah. Are you with me now? Amen. Amen. Now, in order to get Ruth, he has to redeem Naomi. So he comes to the Jews in order to get a Gentile bride. And in the last day, he restores Israel back to her natural land while he's restoring Ruth in her promised land. Somebody with me? Amen. So the first Pentecost, now let's go back to it. The first Pentecost was 50 days after they left Egypt at Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai, that was the first official Pentecost. Now, Brother Branham calls the Red Sea, he types it as Pentecost. But, you know, again, literally, the real Pentecost comes the seven weeks after that. They come to Mount Sinai, to the Mount of God. And at the Mount of God there, on Mount Sinai, God gives them the covenant of the law. The second Pentecost is where God gave his word on the day of Pentecost, the pouring out of his spirit upon all flesh. And gave them, and and there he espoused to himself a bride. Now remember, at Mount Sinai, he made a covenant with Israel and espoused himself to Israel. We know the story of Israel and her betrayal and her sins and how God said, I've divorced thee and so on like that. But now you come to the second Pentecost where God gives his word on the day of Pentecost and espouses to himself a bride. What did Paul say? You know, I fear lest as the serpent beguiled Eve, so will the, the Satan do the same thing to you. And he said, for I have espoused you I've engaged you to a husband. Amen. Amen. Now, so we are espoused to him to be his bride at Pentecost. Listen, every person, that's why you have to have your Pentecost because it's there that you realize that on you has always been the wedding band of predestinated unmerited grace and God opens your eyes to knowing you have always been his. That you didn't come his at the altar. You always were his and he slipped a ring of unmerited 
charge of grace on your finger before the foundation of the world and he called you to be his own. Amen. So if you want to be united to Christ, get Pentecost. That's why this is a Pentecost because it's the invisible union of the bride. It is where a marriage takes place. Now, of course, the first was at Mount Sinai, given the law. The second in the upper room, the given of the spirit, where God took the law and didn't write it in stone, but wrote it in tables of the heart. The third, now we come to the third. See, it runs in threes, right? First, Mount Sinai. Second, day of Pentecost. Third, this last day where God finishes the pouring out of his spirit. And he takes the people in a rapture. Now, the conclusion of the weeks of unleavened bread, the seven church ages, it's here that God concludes his waving as in this waving, it is a waving of two loaves. And it's, it's two loaves here that that has been infused with a life. Now, in, in, in other types, leaven is a type of sin. But in this type, this leaven is not sin. This leaven, it could even be called change. You know, where, you know what, what happens when, when God puts his life into you? It rises up, right? It rises up, it swells out. Amen. But then, you know, the, the God allows through the trials to punch you back down. And you rise up again. And he punches you back down. And you rise up again. Amen. What's he getting? What's he doing now? He has got his life in you. God then puts it in the fire and he firmly completely puts them exactly that way, unchangeable. The bread never falls again. Come on, somebody. Now, God, God does this now, and these two loaves are waved before the people, the complete covenant of law and grace, Jew and Gentile, and he begins to elevate his bride until she raptures. This is the day where a bride is elevated. She's being waved. Now, this is, he's already started this elevation by showing signs, wonders, miracles, by taking the seals off the book of the inheritance as he gives to Ruth, the Gentile bride, the full inheritance. Somebody say it, full inheritance. Now, this now becomes the jubilee of all jubilee or the Pentecost of all Pentecost. Now, this fulfills the 50th year in the Bible where the lands that were lost due to indebtedness returns back to its original owners. This fulfills the 50th year where slaves throw down their shovels and lay down their hoes and go free. Amen. This is a jubilee where all who have been in the bondage of mortality, crippled and in chains of mortal weaknesses, throw down their shovels, lay down their hoes, mortal life being over and step from time bodies into immortality. Oh, free. Hallelujah. Free at last. 
hearing the trumpet sound. I'm hearing the shout of the bridegroom. The voice is in the bride. And I'm hearing that there is where right now, one step away from stepping into a new body. Stepping right into, come on, uniting with our theophany. Hallelujah, I thought about that today and looked at my little old wife there sitting on the couches. She was watching me study and, and, and waiting for me as I was preparing. And I looked over there and I said, I can see auburn hair coming back on you. I can see wrinkles coming off your face. I can see a dance in your step. I can see, brother, we are about to step over. Hallelujah, I'm about to step over. Are you about to step over? You realize how close we are? Don't let some Kadesh Barnea discourage you. Don't let some men that ain't going discourage you. Don't let the naysayer and the Jebusite and the website discourage you. Don't listen to the gossip of unbelief. are going to turn toward the mortality of my body. And I'm going to step from time into immortality into eternity. Now in our day we saw diseases exposed and tremble when he looked through the pillar of fire. We saw sin exposed False doctrines exposed. You think that's something? When he looks down through the pillar of fire upon death and the shackles of age, oh my. Oh, Brother Gary, when he looks one day down at your age, where age is working in your body, which is incipient death, amen, and death gets scared. Amen, and wrinkles fall off your face and mine. Hallelujah, will you look at your little bride you took back years ago and my, she's more perfect then than now than she was then. Amen, why? Because we're in the day of Pentecost. We're in the day of stepping over into eternity. The day of Pentecost is a time of marriage where the seals are taken off of the inheritance and the names are called of the redeemed. Do you hear what I'm saying? Amen. If you're elevated, you have been caught up out of Laodicea's lukewarmness in the glories of the throne where the book is open and you see yourself there as the people of the book. Revelation 5 and 9, I want you to turn with me. And we're trying to get this down to close. We're going to let you out by 2 o'clock on my part. And that's never a promise. Amen. Revelation 5 and 9. And they sung a new song. Moses sang one. Hello. At the Red Sea, Moses sang a new song. Pentecost is where you sing a new song. Come on. Amen. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and 
we ain't slaves no more. Because thou hast made us into our God kings and priests, and we shall reign. Hallelujah. Not in heaven, on the earth. We will reign right here. Because we are kings and priests, and we have a dominion. Look what the Lord has done. Remember the Red Sea, the Song of Moses? That was Pentecost. Brother Branham told us that. In Exodus 15, 6, Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, has dashed in pieces the enemy. Amen. But look over here. Here's another Pentecost at the finishing of the seven ages. Or watch now, verse 11 of Revelation 5. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders and the number of them, oh, they were 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing, amen, and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are in the sea. And all of them heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Brother, they were having a jubilee. They were having a Pentecost. And I'll tell you what, if the opening of the seals doesn't bring you to a Pentecost, you went to a theology, but you didn't see the book open. Because when the book is opened by the Lamb and you see your name there, hallelujah, then you know the promise is yours and there ain't enough devils in hell going to keep you from it. Hallelujah. Pentecost was the second harvest, the wheat harvest. And we're here at the final harvest. The first harvest was barley, and the Old Testament ended with the coming of the, of the Messiah and the resurrection of the dead. Now, seven, seven weeks later, seven church ages later, comes Pentecost, and it's harvest time, and the New Testament ends with the coming of the Messiah and the resurrection of the dead in Christ. Amen. So the last church will be a Pentecostal church. Don't hang up on me. Let me quote your prophet. He said the original church at Pentecost with the power of God, Mark 16 in action, is the true church that Jesus claims as his own. All else is false. Christ in the true church is a continuation of the book of Acts. Well, you said, but that was then. But what, a, what if the vine ever puts forth another branch, Brother Tim? Well, it puts forth another branch. Here's what he said. If the vine ever puts forth another branch of itself, that branch will be exactly like the branch itself. It will be the same kind of branch that brought forth on the day of Pentecost. It will speak in tongues and prophesy and have the power and the signs and the resurrected Christ, Jesus Christ in it. Amen. Now you get it. You take that up with the prophet of God. That's what he said the church would be like. Amen. And he said, thus, what, was the, what the church was at Pentecost is the standard. That's the pattern. There is no other pattern. So I don't know what your pattern your church is after. Amen. But the real church will be patterned. Amen. After a book of Acts, 
a New Testament church, a people of the new covenant, a people who knows their God, a people who have been to the upper room, a people who have been filled with the Holy Ghost, a people who knows that power, who lays hands on the sick and they shall recover, that in his name they cast out devils. They speak with new tongues. And even if they drink any deadly thing, it won't hurt them. The true church will always try to be like the original at Pentecost. What are we trying to be like today? The frozen chosen? What are we trying to be like? A morgue? What are we trying to be like today? Come on, church. The true church will always try to be like the original at Pentecost. The true church today will try to approximate the early first one. The messengers to the churches, having the same spirit of God in them, will try to approximate the apostle Paul. The promise, I'm just, I'm just reading some of these, one right after another. These are all from the church age book. The promise of power with the apostles were endued at Pentecost is to you Jews, and to you your children Jews, and to all that are far off Gentiles, Amen. And as many as the Lord our God shall call, both Jew and Gentiles, and until he stops calling, the Pentecostal message and power will not cease. Amen. So it's Pentecost where a church of all nations comprised of two loaves, Jew and Gentile, is waves before the people. God elevates that church. Now, what the church had at Pentecost is her inalienable right. Originally, she had the pure word of God. She had the power of the Spirit manifested in diverse signs and wonders, gifts of the Spirit. And if the church is the true church, it'll have the same Spirit and word and acts of power that they had at Pentecost by experience. Oh, we don't need experience. Well, by experience... It will be a Pentecostal church, and there will be tongues and interpretation and prophecies and healings, and God will be in the midst of her, and God will declare himself in the midst of her as he always has. Hallelujah. Amen. In this last age, there will be a group rise up, the true bride of the last day. She'll listen to the Spirit. In that day of gross darkness, the light will return by the pure word, and we will return to the power of Pentecost to welcome back the Lord Jesus Christ. What's wrong with our fundamentals? They have no power, for they stopped short of Pentecost. The church is no longer the mouthpiece of God. It's its own mouthpiece. So God is turning on her. And he will confound her through the prophet and the bride, for the voice of God will be in her. Yes, it says in the last chapter of Revelation, verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. Once more, the world will hear from God as at Pentecost. But of course, that word bride will be repudiated as it was in the first age. But what about the true seed? It will happen just as we said. The people of God are being made ready by the word of truth from the messenger to this age. In her will be the fullness of Pentecost for the spirit will bring the people right back to where they were at the beginning. That is thus saith the Lord. And it's here 
when the last one, like the last Israelite, passed through the Red Sea. When the last member of the bride has had their Pentecost. You can't go in the rapture without having your own Pentecost. Amen. When the last member comes in, then the rapture will go. Is that right? Amen. Now, let's, let's just come to our close now. Exodus 14, 24. It came to pass in the morning watch. The Lord looked to the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and the cloud. Now listen, church. Trouble always comes. Sickness comes on every hand. But when, when it does, the angel of God goes out between you. The Bible would describe the pillar of fire went and stood between Israel and the Egyptians. So they did not come near each other all night. So now when sickness, when trouble comes before you, the pillar of fire goes to stand between you, challenging you to take God at his word. Amen. Now, that's what he does. He gets there to make a way, standing between you and trouble. Even Brother Branham told us this. He said, to every believer, born again, child of God, when death comes stealing at your door prematurely, the angel of God stands between you and the sickness. Now, if you want to run right on to it, that's your business. But you don't have to. He's standing between you and death. He was the go-between then. He's the go-between now. He was the mediator then. He is the mediator now. He was the lamb then. He is the lamb now. Amen. Let me just tell you in case you're thinking he's no more lamb and he's already turned lion. Listen, let me tell you, even in the, even in the, in the, in the ages ahead, when he's with his people, he's the lamb. When he's with them on 144,000, the lamb is with his people, the lamb. Amen. The Bible said that they have to face the wrath of the lamb. The lamb is still there interceding on behalf of the remnants. Is somebody with me? The lamb is there, but you say he's a lion. Oh, yeah. My husband, he's a lion. Amen. When the enemy comes, amen, he's ferocious. He roars. Amen. He's got teeth. He bites. Amen. He he tramples down. He destroys. Amen. The king is a lion. But when I look at him, I don't ever see him as a lion. I see him as my lamb. He's the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. He's Melchizedek, both king and priest. Intercessor then, intercessor now. In fact, I want to show you the position of the Lamb. Revelation 5 and 6. And I beheld, I looked. When you get elevated by revelation into this place, you look. And I beheld, and I lo in the midst of the throne, and the four beasts 
in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as had been slain. I want you to notice as he takes the book, he is stood. He stands to claim his inheritance. He's been sitting as mediator and his blood still atones. Listen, his purchasing work is not ineffective because he's not on the cross anymore. He's still doing the purchasing work. Somebody help me. Yes, he purchased you at Calvary by his blood, but he actually did that before the world began. But in time, you met him at an altar, and there you found out he purchased your salvation. Amen? Now, but watch now. He stands, and he stands there as a lamb, and he takes the book as a lamb. Amen. Oh, I want you to get this. Because as a lamb, he's our intercessor. He is our mediator. As a lamb, he's our go-between. As a lamb, he is there as our redeemer. As a lamb, he is our kinsman. Is somebody with me? Now watch this. This parallels Daniel chapter 12. Because in the Bible says, at that time, Michael, come on somebody, Michael, his name is the archangel, whose name means who is like Jehovah, an angel who is like Jehovah. My goodness, he was there in the pillar of fire. He was there down through the ages, and he was always like Jehovah. And we saw him in a pillar of fire, and it was the same Jesus that, was on, that, that met Paul on the road to Damascus. One like Jehovah. Come on, somebody. And then that time shall Michael... Stand up. And I looked and I saw a lamb standing. Now look at the parallel. Michael standing, the archangel, and now the lamb standing. What's now? The great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. Oh, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation until that same time. But in that time of trouble, at that time shall thy people be delivered. Everyone whose name is found in the book that was sealed with seven seals and you couldn't look at it till it was open until a lamb stood. And when Michael stands up, It is a time of deliverance. Don't you realize what the rapture is? It's a deliverance. Don't you realize what the resurrection is? It's a deliverance. Do you realize everything that God's done in this age is deliverance? I have come down for deliverance. When the Lamb stands up, it's Pentecost again. Amen. It's like the Red Sea where God stands up and looks to the pillar of fire. It's like the day of Pentecost when God comes down and looks to that pillar of fire and gives each one a lick of his own life. And you're free. You're not a slave anymore. Can I preach this for a moment? Men, let me, let's just look and see what happened at Pentecost. And I want you to equate it to where we are now with an open book, with our names revealed, 
with heaven. Come on. And if you're, you say, Brother Tim, but I'm in the earth. No, if you are a believer, you are in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Is that right? If you're there, you see a lamb has taken the book, has opened the seals, and it's made you rejoice. Come on. You're not some dead dragon hope so anymore. You're somebody that's got victory because you see your name in the book, and the book has been opened, and every promise is now mine. Let's look for a moment. Let's look down here. Men, men, 120 of them in the upper room who were a lifetime of slavery. They were now freed from the bondage of sin. Peter, that denier, who exalted his cursed flesh over Jesus Christ and denied the Lord three times and chose his own self over his Lord. Now so his ego and his pride all conquered and dead and drowned in the Red Sea at Pentecost. That enemy that had troubled Peter all his life and gave him that old ego and that pride and then turned into be a denier when the time, when the trouble come. And that thing that made him like that in the time of trouble now is gone. And at Pentecost, that enemy was dead. And Peter jumps up on the soapbox and he said, this is that which the prophet Joel spoke of. For in the last days, God will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And he just poured it out on me. My ego is gone. My pride is gone. My ambition is gone. My cowardice is gone. And now I got the keys to the kingdom. At Pentecost, amen, Thomas the doubter wasn't a doubter anymore. Amen. At the Red Sea, Pharaoh looked on as, as his mighty army drowned, his captains, his charioteers, his best chariots, the wheels come off. And at Pentecost, men saw lust that enslaved them, drowned in the sea. Amen. Men saw slave addictions to drug and alcohol, drowned in the sea of God's great forgetfulness. Now there was a new stimulant as new wine had been poured into new bottles. Come on, church. On the day of Pentecost, God had 120 new wineskins. Hallelujah. That had just been made new. And they were sitting there with their bottlenecks up waiting for the outpouring. Amen. Waiting for the outpouring. And here it came when the Holy Spirit fell from heaven and began to fill little bottles, 120 of them with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. That new wine began to work on the inside of them and bubble up on the inside of them. And they bounced out on the street. Come on, somebody. They were drunk in the spirit. They were intoxicated with a new wine. Amen. What a revival they were having. You see, that's God's order. Amen. Because when the Pentecost comes, it brings a revival. And if the message of the hour don't bring you a revival, you're in the wrong message. You're hearing the wrong voice. It should cause a revival and an enthusiasm and get rid of your discouragement. Hallelujah. 
And what happened when they bubbled out there? They went right down the street just a bubbling over. And they found a crippled man there at the, on, on the side of the gate called Beautiful. And they said, we don't have silver and gold, but we got something. There's something, there's a light pulsating in us. Amen. Just reach here and we're going to give you what we got. Amen. And when it happened, that man went down screaming and shouting and glorifying God. Why? He was having his own Pentecost now. He had his own liberation. He was set free. At the Red Sea, Satan saw his army with his powers of the horse and the riders thrown into the sea. His best horses, well-bred champions, Tangled in their harness, tied to a chariot like an anchor, drowned in the midst of the Red Sea. At this Pentecost, we see white, red, black, pale horses and its riders drowned, exposed, uncovered, powerless. It has no hold on you. Its rider is death and it's dead in the sea. Amen. Laodicea with its lukewarmness has no power. Its forms has no power. Its creeds have no power. Its dogmas have no power. No more does it have power over. No more can they champion over us. Man-made theology has no more power. You pastors out there, you say to me, Brother Tim, why is it our people are not advancing? Why is it their heads are stuck in movies? Why is it there's no faith among people? Why is it people won't come to church anymore? Why is it they ain't fervent and on fire? Why is it that the sick aren't healed and young people are denied their Pentecost? Brother Tim, we got the word. We got the full word. It's the word, Brother Tim. That's not the word. Let me just say it again. That's not the word. That's a cold, dead theology. Amen. Your spiritual thermometer of your church is about 40 degrees below zero. That's not the word. The word has life. The word has power. Amen. If the book unsealed does not bring you to a pinnacle where sin is dead and the flesh is denied, it's still in as powerless and worthless as a, as a denominational creed out there. Amen. You're no better. You'd been just as well off to stay in a denomination somewhere. It shows you're not a part of the elevating of the sheaf, of the harvest grain. And you're certainly not a part of the waving. Because when he elevates you, he lifts you up where all your sin is dead. Your tempers are gone. Your pride is gone. Your sins are gone. The lust demons are dealt with. No more do you have to pull them out of pornography. Don't even have to have a, a keeper on their, on, their, on their tablets or on their computers. They got a keeper in their soul. Amen. They can never go around. They can never rise up above. They can never kick out because once it seals, it seals you to the day of redemption. They don't want to be free from it. They are happy. Amen. They're part of the bright age. Aren't you glad to be a part of that age? Part of the waving. Stand together as the musicians come now. For the bride age. For resurrection out of dark denominationalism will be a message. 
Anybody want to hear what the message is about? This isn't, it is the rising of the sun. For the bright age. How many believes we're in the bright age? For the bright age, for our, for a resurrection out of dark denominationalism. Will be a message that the full maturity of the word has turned back again in its full power and being waved over the people by the same signs and wonders that he did back there. That's the message. The message is, is the word is here in its full power and it's being waved over the people. Amen. By the same signs and wonders that he did back there. Because I live, you speaking to his wife shall live also. What a resurrection that was 2,000 years ago when he was waved before the people in the resurrection. And what a resurrection this is when we're resurrected out of cold dark denominationalism back to the word again. He was waved to them the word which he was and waved to them on the day of Pentecost. The word is made manifest and as I say is to be waved again in the last days. Don't tell me your anti-word things. Don't come and repeat the dogmas of the formal denominationalism of a Christ yesterday and not today. Don't come along and say, well, we got the perfect word now. And so now those like prophesying and, and tongues and all of that is all done away with because we got the perfect word. That's not what he's saying. He says, that which is perfect has come. And when that which is perfect has come, then just having part of it is done away. No longer do we just have part of justification or sanctification or gifts. But when we got the word, we got all of it. Amen. Don't tell me you're childish that those things are thought childish because we're now so mature. The message that came to us was waved over us. It spoke in tongues. It prophesied. It healed the sick. It made the cripples walk. It opened the eyes of the blind. It's a message that the full maturity of the word has turned back in its full power and has been waved over the people by the same wonders, signs and wonders he did back there. And that the Son of God is alive again with the baptism of the Holy Ghost right among us and has given us life. Life. Michael has stood up. The Lamb has stood up. He stands now and looks through angry eyes through the pillar of fire. He's turning on your enemy now. He's turning on that enemy of mortality. He's about to change you. He's looking right down upon the dead in Christ with angry eyes where death has laid him down in the grave year after year of year. But there comes a time he looks then through the pillar of fire. And all the way back from this age, back to Paul, the last that went down will be the first. Each age will call its brethren, and as each one calls its brethren, as the voice of God ripples through the bride, calling the resurrection, 
the dead in Christ shall rise. We're living in the greatest hour that there's ever been. Because our God is a man of war. He's looking at your enemy today. He's got zeal that he's clad himself with. He's got righteousness on his breast. He's got a cloak of vengeance. He's dressed to chase your adversary. And I will be an adversary against your adversary. And I will be an enemy to your enemy. And one of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God will fight for you. And you're not here fighting alone anymore, little children. For I am here in the midst of you in a pillar of fire. And I'm here infusing faith into the hearts of people. And send a message to turn your heart back from unbelief to believing again. And I've seen my name in the book. And when Michael stood up, all those whose names were in the book rises. He calls for those names. Father, you're a man of war this morning. You actually became a man, not a second person, not a third person, but the person. Not some minor God under God, the Lord God Almighty. The Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the New. It was God just changing his mask. Same God all the time. That's the word that's been waved over us. And our Lord is a man of war. Lord, I pray your people today get rid of discouragement. It's a spirit. Get rid of the apathy, the lukewarmness. It's a spirit. Get rid of the doldrums and the depression. It's a spirit. They just stop and see it's a spirit. It's a spirit. It's a spirit trying to tell them the word ain't for them promise isn't for them. It's the Spirit. Our battle is not with flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. The higher we move in God, the more we're opposed. But it's the day when Michael stands up. You've stood, you've tore the seals off the book, sent them down to the seventh angel on earth. We're part of those who saw our names in the book of redemption. I pray, Lord, your people just take heart today as they realize we're on your side. It's your battle, and we're fighting with you. May we see ourselves, which we'll come on that day, it's a future scripture, but may we see ourselves as you going for us and us being on white horses with you, I pray, God, that you'll do it. 
In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Shake off those heavy bands. Shake off the darkness around you. Look through it. God's looking through it with angry eyes. Begin to look at it the way God sees you. I'm his son. You can't keep looking at yourself, well, we're this immature people that have never grew up. You've got to look at yourself and realize that the Holy Ghost is your adoption robe and that you can win your battles. Amen. I must fight, be brave against all evil. Never run or even lag behind. If you're going to win for God in the right, keep on the firing line. Amen. Are you ready to be on there? Give me verse 1. If you're in the battle for the Lord and right, keep on the fire.